Contrast Security secures the code that global business relies on. It is the industry's most modern and comprehensive code security platform, removing security roadblock inefficiencies and empowering enterprise developers to write and release secure application code faster. The Contrast platform automatically detects vulnerabilities while developers write code, eliminates false positives, and provides how-to-fix guidance for easy and fast vulnerability remediation. Learn more about the Contrast platform at securityweekly.com slash contrast security. ThreatLocker is a global cybersecurity leader paving the way for businesses everywhere to implement a zero-trust security solution that not only protects business-critical data, but also helps mitigate cyber attacks. ThreatLocker's unique endpoint solutions help you to work smart and strengthen your security infrastructure from the ground up. ThreatLocker's allow listing, ring fencing, storage control, elevation control, and network access control solutions give you a more secure approach to blocking the exploits of unknown application vulnerabilities. If you're looking to enhance your cybersecurity and stop zero-day vulnerabilities exploiting your data, reach out to a ThreatLocker cyber hero today. Visit securityweekly.com slash ThreatLocker to learn more. Welcome back to Application Security Weekly. We just talked with Pharaoh Mavituna from Invicti about crafting an AppSec program that asks, what assets do I care about and has the processes in place to answer it well? I'm your host, Mike Shima. I'm here with John Kinsella and Joe South, and this is our news segment. Don't miss any of your favorite Security Weekly content. Visit securityweekly.com slash subscribe to subscribe to any of our podcast feeds and have all new episodes downloaded right to your phone. You can also join our mailing list, a Discord server, and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms. Plus, do you have a specific guest or topic that you want us to cover on one of the shows? Submit your suggestions at securityweekly.com slash guests. We review suggestions monthly and we'll reach out to you once reviewed. John and Joe, I had what I thought was going to be my favorite Vuln of the Week, but um, Mr. Kinsella, um, knowing that you can run games like like Doom within WebAssembly, uh, that was one of the early ways of showing it off, you've discovered a much simpler way to make profit off of running Doom based on some Vulns. Tell us about this one. <laughs> I wish I could say I discovered it. Um, so so this <laughs> is... <Discovered> uh, <laughs> I'll start off here with a little bit of a yeah, but right. Um, in, in, uh, in, oh, should I? Well, too late. I started. Um, too late. A large number of folks out there are really big fans of the Facebook uh, for for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, that said, let's leave that aside. Here's the yeah, but um, they've got a, a ton of really great engineers. Um, their security department has a bunch of really great folks in it. So what we've got here is a, a story. Which um, it's it's long but good and very well detailed and the reason I'm describing this up front is because I haven't finished reading it. Um, but so uh, Facebook has this thing called Hermes. I guess I'd say Hermes. If we call it like the purse, um, or I should say the brand. Uh, and and really, what Hermes is, is is a JavaScript engine which they've developed for their own needs. Uh, within there, they've got a um, a, a sorting uh, function. Uh, um, and in particular, what we've got in there is the ability, it's a quick sort, you know, standard, you know, one of CS101 type things we usually learn earlier, but just because it's CS101 doesn't mean there's not ways you can optimize it and possibly have a bug in it. So what someone did is they sent into um, the meta uh, bug bounty program uh, that there looked like there might be ability to crash this type of thing. And they, they thought it was a fairly low, um, a, a low uh, risk uh, volume, but they still submitted it. Not really high expectations. 
and as the meta guys looked at it, they're like, oh, it looks like we can actually use that. It's worse than you thought it was. We might be able to use that for um, code execution. Um, so that became uh, from a, what, a $500 to $3,000 volume to they actually paid out $12,000 US. Uh, the fun part here then is they said, okay, well, sometimes they want to do a little bit of education around this or like what we do on the podcast. And they said, hey, let's, let's see if we can expand that you know, a bug in sort, something very small and in particular and sort of, you know, one would think not that big a deal. Um, and what can we do to actually turn that into something bigger and more interesting and actually get someone, once again, like us talking about it? So what they've done is they've managed to, um, as you, you four hinted out there, uh, they've, they've taken that bug and they've got it to run Doom uh, in JavaScript. And they actually talk through here in, in fairly decent detail, like, you know, what what's going on? Why is this? How did the bug actually exist in the first place? Um, I think for some of us, it actually, it's a good read, even if you're not going to be, be doing security research, whatever else, just thinking about how the vulnerability exists and how uh, what's going on there and how someone was able to think about taking your standard sort algorithm and using that for nefarious purposes. I think it was actually, even for me, I think it's sort of a, a bit of a think. So um, I think it's good. But then with some animation, some pretty pictures, um, some good code examples, and, and here, you know, we keep scrolling further and further down. And by the end of the page, they've got Doom running um, due to a vulnerability in a quick sort. So that, that's that's where we're starting today. Um, I think they're setting a pretty high bar for a blog post and for a, a turning a small vulnerability into something bigger, more interesting. But um, where can we go from there? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I love small aside there too. I love that they also show like using the address sanitizer part of some LLVM capabilities mm -hmm. as they're analyzing the code. So just really neat read through from that. And it's also, as you pointed out, it, it's a great way of uh, seeing a very positive interaction in a bug bounty program that not only did they just say, well, you know, thanks for this report for, and here's the initial payout. They did the research. They, as in meta, did the research yeah. to say, it is actually a little bit worse than we thought. And uh, even though you didn't, you know, run the doom, uh, we did, we're going to bump up the, the the reward for you. So I thought that was also a really positive outcome of that as well. So that, that's you the know, one thing I wanted to add. You know, what's interesting when I was reading this earlier was the one thought that crossed my mind is, did someone get to work on this as part of, as, were they paid to work on this as part of their, their day in, day out job for a few days? Or was this like a, a weekend project for somebody? Um, because if, I mean, obviously these guys have a lot of resources. They have the ability to give this to someone for a few days and just say, work on it. Um, that's a pretty nice place to work, right? If that's what you can spend your week doing is is taking a known, well, taking a vulnerability which has been reported and turning that into running Doom. That that's um, that That's not a bad gig to have. Not a bad gig. And there is a long history of where where can Doom be executed. So uh, listeners, if you have some favorite examples that you've seen of strange devices, whether they're an ATM, for example, or something else, uh, do let us know. We'll, we'll, we'll share them in some future episodes. I'm going to switch over to, of course, probably very predictable, um, but there was some education in here, too, of a vulnerability that stood out to me, a path traversal in a uh, Ruby gem uh, for, that handles time zone information. Now, uh, I actually wrote up a whole bunch of this in the show notes, and I'm going to try just to keep the discussion, my side of the discussion here, brief. It's fun because it's tra tra uh, path traversal. 
One of the other things that that I really liked about this GitHub Security Advisory is that it says it, it puts into perspective or it gives it explains why it gave it a particular CVSS score. So rather than just saying it was like 7.5 or something like that, it it gives an example of how in Ruby on Rails that if something is using a particular TZ info version that allows file uploads and has a time zone time zone selector that accepts arbitrary identifiers, then it could be exploited in this manner. That's based on the CVSS score. So it's neat because they're at least providing some of the context to understand, should I care about this or not? Is it exploitable? Which is a callback to our discussion with Pharaoh. So that was real neat. And then I did go uh, a bit longer, perhaps, on, on the show notes that I will here, just talk about a neat, tiny lesson about regular expressions and using and anchoring them mm. in, uh, in properly and with nuance. So don't know, Joe, if you have dived into fun with path traversal or uh, how, how familiar or how much you enjoy regular expressions. So I don't know if there's something else you might want to add on to this as well um, before I now stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, regular expressions. Uh, that, oh, man, that uh, brings back like some form of PTSD when I had to do everything in regular expressions. It was so terrible. Um, but, you know, I, I found the path traversal to be uh, pretty interesting. I didn't dive into it probably as much as you. Um, but the other article that I wanted to bring up that is also a path traversal is the GPS tracker that we can dive into in a little bit. Mm. Yeah, let's go ahead and hit on that one because there's a theme here uh, that we're going to build up to about authentication and authorization. And this, uh, these flaws in this GPS tracker app are pretty interesting. So there was uh, a bit site, uh, put, did some research and found five or six vulnerabilities in the web app side of things, I believe, not on the hardware side. Things And what stood out to me were IDOR. Cross-site scripting, a little bit of a snooze there. Sorry, cross-site scripting. Uh, but they also found a hard-coded password, a default password. And uh, those were just like, uh, you have to, I'm not going to be very ragey today, but you have to have a little bit of rage to be like, wait, 2022 and we're still <laughs> having these types of problems. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's pretty shocking because it's like they're they're missing the best practices that, have been posted everywhere. Like, where else do we need to post these best practices when developing something of what not to do? <laughs> where uh, where are these poor security skills being taught? I really, I really wonder. Well, and this is where I like to often flip that around to say, maybe AppSec just trying to say, hey, don't do this, don't do this, please still don't do this. Maybe that's a failure on our are is talking about the AppSec industry side as well, mm -hmm. that just saying awareness isn't necessarily the best solution here. Maybe we do need something that LLVM is helping us out with, or you know, compiler or tools are giving more concrete feedback or concrete analysis directly as these apps are being built. Um, hmm. That's it, interesting. I mean, that's, a, mm -hmm. that's an interesting way to approach that problem. Um, I do find that my devs do need that insight. They need a solution um, that is pointing out the problems like while they're actually doing it. And that will lead to a higher chance of those issues being resolved ahead of time. 
I think John, you were also. I was. It was deep in deep in thought. Um, I, I think there's two things here, right? One is is as you were saying, Mike, the the aspect of of education. So, you know, it's we we talk about. Um, Joe has a very good point of like, hey, this, this stuff is like we've been banging this drum for what two decades now, probably. Uh, but one of the questions at least comes back to me, since I'm not still in college, might be a shock to some of you, is are are we banging this drum at the colleges? Um, is do mm. do the CS not like the CS security class, but like um, more of a base computer science class, which like everyone takes, right? So you have the data science kids who aren't go do like the, the CS track. You're going to have like a lot of other people out there who like eventually they'll come back and they'll become software developers. Is there some earlier choke point? Um, I mean that in a good way uh, where we can actually get these folks and say, hey, here's five things, you know, tattoo, tattoo these in your wrist and always do these when you're coding. Um, passwords like, what did I see? One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. Um, yeah. And then the second part here is to, to, we're not getting the message out to the vendors either. I mean, they've had this for mm. just about a year now, and they haven't done, they've just stopped responding to requests about it. Um, so it's a little bit on, on both ends of that spectrum of, of we, and I, I think we're, we're, you know, we're starting to see some laws around the world that like try to um, enforce this from a, a legal point of view. and actually put some sort of penalties on there. So maybe that'll help. It's unfortunate we have to go that way, but for some people, they, they need a bigger stick, I guess, to sort of incur- provide encouragement. Provide encouragement, indeed. And, yeah, and you, you make the good point, as you're saying. You, you mentioned just now, just before, in the about the, the first example, you know, everyone, the CS101 is about quicksort or bubble sort or, mm. you know, all these sort al- algorithms. How how deeply integrated into these CS101 programs or others, like you said, are the education comes, and this is why we also see you know we can pick on this uh, GPS as a good example because this was uh, at least over a year I think or almost a year and a half at least of a very poor uh, coordinated disclosure experience. Basically, the the vendor went silent. On the other hand, we also had Atlassian had a hard-coded password as well in a third-party app for Confluence. Atlassian fortunately did respond very well, and there was, you know, it's a hard-coded password. That's kind of, to me, to me even less exciting than cross-site scripting. But what did stand out to me in this particular situation is that I was reading about it, and the comments in the article on Portswigger was, uninstalling the Questions for Confluence app also does not remediate the vulnerability, uh, which means this hard-coded account still remains. And that one was like a, oh, ouch, that's rather unfortunate. Because typically, if you want to reduce attack surface, remove the app, uninstall the app. But here is a lingering byproduct of that installation that's still going to leave you vulnerable. And um, don't have anything more insightful than that other than a good reference to facehuggers from aliens. But um, don't know if you, and John or Joe, if you want to add on it to any of that or we can move on. They have improved the state of the art on uh, vulnerabilities in software. <laughs> Very good. So we are going to continue to talk about authorization and authentication because nobody puts a blog post that references Patrick Swayze and um, gets past my attention. So this is from earlier in July, but uh, from a very uh, well-known uh, bug bounty researcher and uh, who wrote about the, the dirty dancing examples of uh, exploiting sign-in OAuth flows. And this, Joe, I think a little bit speaks to someone who is reading the specs, has a very 
good understanding of the the nuances of OAuth OAuth 2.0. Has done some research. Links into links to it in the the blog post. So I encourage everybody to follow those links as well about prior art, about pulling apart the misimplementations or those implementation mistakes of, of OAuth, uh, which can have subtleties and interesting things to them. And um, it's just one of those long articles that I think is a great companion to the one that uh, we started off with that John highlighted that's walking through, here's a vuln, here's some backgrounds, here's different ways that it can be pulled apart. And of course, I, you know, it has a great Dirty Dancing reference in it, so that's why I had to um, highlight it. So I don't know, guys, how if you've had a chance to uh, read through from start to finish here on, on OAuth, or there's something about the OAuth that you wanted to highlight. I've got a few more ideas of my own. I thought that it was a bit interesting of how you can manipulate this and break the state. I, fi I find that interesting, because if you can do that, I mean, you could do some really... Uh, interesting and malicious things. Yeah, I used to work with, a, um, and hopefully will again someday, work with a, a really great engineer who, when he was, we'd have a, um, interview problems for potential candidates. And it was an OWASP problem, or not OWASP, excuse mm -hmm. me, um, OAuth. And they'd go through and they'd do it, right? And he'd come through and at question time go, you didn't do this. Is there something you could do here around this authentication or validation part? They'd be like, huh? Um, so it, it's not surprising to me. It's still sort of interesting to see them listed out. But yeah, I'd say the vast majority of folks, Joe, probably 90% of developers out there don't do the complete validation on this is my guess. Um so yeah, it's, I mean that that then becomes one thing. Sort of going back to or you know following our trends here today is do we make that is that require more education on our part out to these folks or should this overall protocol be um, a little bit less of a dirty dance? That's a great point and um, sets up a great. I'm not sure I'm going to have to squeeze this in, but if we're, I'm going to have to pull in some other Patrick Swayze movies and he has a wonderful quote from Roadhouse of um, "Pain don't hurt," which probably is a, a theme for either AppSec teams or DevOps teams trying to debug uh, the, these types of vaults. But more seriously, to your point, there is, I am a huge fan of WebAuthN, and WebAuthN introduces some wonderful proper authentication parts of this. And with WebAuthN, is the, 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 the cryptographic principles behind it makes it actually almost impossible to reuse or replay some of these tokens because of the way that it requires the each endpoint, each side, the server and client, to cryptographically sign the token. So the interception replay doesn't work as well coming from a, you know, trying to intermediate that through a, a phishing website, if you will. So it's a wonderful combination then to put on top of the OAuth and authorization where you need access tokens or these types of design patterns to, to get into the API. So that's one good thing. And um, uh, we'll have to drop uh, some, some, some links into from OAuth.net website that does have mm -hmm. some good documentation about how to quote unquote do this properly, how to, how to be aware of the sharp edges around uh, implementing OAuth because it's nice that it's a standard, and you do honestly see it just about anywhere. You see it in lots of places, but like all the protocols, they 
it's the implementation uh, problems that that, that where, where where issues where, where they come up. And I don't know of any good automatic scanners around OAuth testing. I, I say that though, oh, knowing in the back of my mind that a bunch of them must exist. And so that's a maybe this is the the asking the audience for 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 help this this episode. Do you have some good OAuth testing tools, automated tools? Um, that would be great to help out developers so they can avoid, you know, identifying production or sorry, identifying development and staging before these vulns reach, reach prod. And while everyone is frantically searching for those types of tools, I'll, I'll switch us over to a security audit that was done as part of this is part of the open SSF uh, investment in security that we talked about back in at least in May. And we had an interview about as well. So we've been touching on these open SSF investments. But um, Two security audits, one about SIGStore, one about SLF4J, which is related to another vulnerability that I'm trying not to mention at all because we've covered this well-known Java flaw uh, too many times. Uh, but uh, wanted mostly pointing out this uh, the, the, these PDFs, because these reports, because I think they're really helpful to read through, even if you're not using SIGStore, SLF4J, or uh, Argo as well. But it's really good just to read through these types of security reports to understand what were the researchers thinking about. They can, you know, these the, the attacker-minded thinking can help your own threat models and the applications you're building, as well as we've often talked in the past about communication skills, reading, writing especially. When you like particular security reports, security audits, start to imitate the things that you like is it presenting is it presenting situations in a particularly clear format is the structure have a really nice beginning middle and end a good narrative where you can understand this is what we did this is what we found this is why it's bad and therefore these are the priorities of why we think you should fix this so th th that was the angles i wanted to take on this i did read through them but i'm not sure there's anything too exciting inside these reports um, I'll say what uh, Mike didn't want to say on the air since we have been talking about it a lot, and that's a reminder that that Java is not a good language to be programming in. Um, but on a more serious note, uh, you know what's interesting about these as as open source projects over the last three, four, maybe a little longer, five years have been doing um, these type of uh, um, audits and then releasing the reports on them. So what goes on as part of these, as the part of the negotiation with the vendors is saying, hey, we're gonna make this public. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason this is interesting is, you know, for those of us who were doing pen testing five, 10, 15 years ago, part of the part you'd always try to figure out is like, what do I put in a report? Cause you're like, that was sort of your, one of your little bits of intellectual property. You'd, you wanted to have a report that was full of really great stuff or enough great stuff so that your customer would go, wow, you guys did an amazing job. We're going to use you again in the future. But you wouldn't want your competitors to see that because then they'd be seeing the tricks of what you're putting into a report. So now that these things are being open source, you get to see like, hey, what does, for someone new in security, if, if you know, you're getting your first pen testing gig, that report at the end when you give that to the customer is not just, you know, what you got out of W3AF or you know, uh, an Excel mm -hmm. sheet with like a few things in it. Like this has to be made into a bit of a story. So this is why it's, it's if nothing else, it's good taking a look at this and reading and seeing like how some of these are done. Um, a little bit of intros, the risk categorizations up front. Um, I like the section about around fuzzing improvements. They sort of hinted at that in that blog post. 
I'm like, oh, what fuzzing, interesting. So they've actually gone through and said, hey, we, we dug up a list of functions in here. These are things which could be fuzzed. Um, and then like even just thinking about that, right? Because it looks like they were doing a little bit of fuzzing, but not a lot. Um, and more is better than none, but still space to improve. So that's cool. And then going through the high-risk findings, as you said, with actually with code samples, because frequently people won't put the, that into their reports either. Mm -hmm. So when you find something, it's not just saying, hey, cool, we found this. You know, There's a vulnerability of a, a log thing in here. It's the more you can show it actually, it, you're doing a bit of convincing to that customer of, you know, this this exists. This is where it is in the code. I've actually done all the work for you. Change it, fix it, right? So um, that's sort of a, a little bit of an next level thing. And then along with it, the requests and responses of your, your HTTP request, that's pretty cool. Um, so I think it's overall, it's, it's a good reading. I'm just looking at the, the first one for SIGStore. But it's... Mm -hmm. um, it, it's definitely for folks who aren't familiar with this. And actually, I'm going to go both sides because it's not just for um, people who are going to come into the pen test space, but also for out there for our, our management or our, you know just um, customers who might be purchasing a pen test now or in the future. One of the things you want to do as part of when you're going out to that sales process and going through negotiation, you want to see a sample report from that vendor. What does your pen test look like? Now here you've got something you can compare it against. Does it look better than this? Does it look worse than this? Does it have samples in it? So there's all sorts of really interesting points of, of having reports like this out in the wild. Um, so it sounds like a simple thing. It sounds like a fairly nerdy thing, but it's definitely worth, you know, just download a copy and keep around handy. It might be might be good to have this in the near, nearby in the future. Yeah, I know, uh, I believe Trail of Bits have posted a lot of their yeah. security audits. NCC Group does this quite a bit. Um, I'm quite sure some of the other pen testing companies, you know, uh, like to publish some of those that they can obviously publish mm -hmm. because they're, you know, they're, they are built into contracts and the, the comfort level of who they're doing the testing for. Uh, but but there are some great examples out there and very good points you made, Tom, uh, John. So I want to also have you continue your excellent points. <laughs> a little bit more fun. You've got some... Um, some uh, some exfiltration work here, some antennas in application security. Tell us more. Yes, so this is something called uh, they've they've you know as all reports have to, excuse me as all reports and still stuck in reports as all vulnerabilities have to have a name and branding. This has been called SATA and isn't Satan, but as S A T A or SATA, you know whoever you want to pronounce it. Joe, how do you pronounce this? Uh. That's a weird one. Satan. <laughs> so, anyways, what's going on with with Satan is, um, and we've seen this type of data exfiltration with different sort of um, parts of the um, of the computer thing. Even you know the, the the use case here to sort of set up the story is, you've got your super sensitive data. You don't want that thing plugged into the internet because someone's going to come from AOL and, and destroy all your life. So what these folks have figured out is, you know, we can do data exfiltration through modification of the speed of the CPU. You can change the blinking lights in front of your computers, all sorts of ways to get data out of computers not connected to a network. In this particular case, the, the researchers, and they've actually published a paper on um, another one to try and pronounce, Xarchive, um, which is the main, one of the main um, uh, academic paper sites. So I've, I've linked to the Tom Chargo article instead of, of linking a PDF. But anyways, um, they figured out that by sending uh, data requests and responses over that SATA cable that they're able to uh, broadcast on, I think, a 6 gigahertz band. And then a software-defined radio on a, a laptop about a meter away can pick that up and, and decrypt what you've got going on. So it's, it's basically a way of getting, you know, a, a new, fun, different way of getting data off a, an air-gapped computer at the end of the day. 
It is fun. And I'll bring in, I'll bring in the threat modeling aspect of this is that, uh, that, you know, as the, it's describing, you know, you can only use this, basically any unterminated cable, I'm going to hand wave a little bit, can become an antenna, which John just described for us. In this case, it was saying, you know, you have to be within about a meter away, which um, being an American based on the imperial system, not quite sure how far that is, but I think it's pretty close. Um, I think it's like a yard. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, let's see. Before I dig myself out of that situation, John, give us another one. Uh, we did talk about open source security and the, what OpenSSF was investing in. I think they invested uh, a few million dollars into the security of the Linux and the open source ecosystem. You had a um, story about a different type of investment in open source. Yeah, so this is um, – I, I think this is a really good thing. So I, I'm, I'm stealing an article, and I'm, I'm giving it a security spin is what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm – for different reasons, I'm sort of curious about GPT-3 and things like that, and what can we use that for, either for commercial purposes or just for the hobby stuff. Um, you know, we, we've talked a little bit in the past about – a. Um, a well, Amazon has what Copilot now? No, sorry, GitHub is Copilot. GitHub, um, Amazon yeah. has Code Whisperer. So there's different uses for these from just a coding point of view. Um, uh, but anyways, in, in this this article was talking about from the point of view of just what can open source do with these things. So what's going on here is sort of uh, c- complete those thoughts. Um, uh, the Hugging Face, the um, AI company, is working on in a public manner, in an open source manner. Um, uh, another large language model similar to GPT-3, but it's actually multilingual, so it can do, I think, like five or ten different languages. And they're open sourcing it. And this is sort of, I'm guessing, a bit of a precursor to this article here where there's a bunch of people teeth gnashing about um, Facebook's models. And I don't think they mentioned Hugging Faces Bloom. But um, the, the point of what's going on here across any of these, uh, what came out is Bloom started getting a little more attention in some articles over the last few weeks, at least on my radar, is so GPT-3, which came out from um, OpenAI, um, they figure costs somewhere based off the prices of previous models to train GPT-2 and others. GPT-3 probably cost around $25 million just to do a training run from a compute point of view. Um, if you want to run GPT-3 on a system, the, again, the figures based roughly around from GPT-2 is GPT-3 probably costs $150,000 per year for a single instance of it to run. Um, that's based off the both the compute as well as the amount of memory required for the actual model to stay resident to do those um, inferences and then the, the calculations around it. So bringing this back to first open source and then security. Um, average open source developer, or even as they say in this article, um, a high-tech, well, not a high-tech, uh, um, a higher education institution or a research institution if you get a grant for $25 million, you're doing pretty good. To get a grant to train GPT even once a month or twice a year on like a three-year NSF grant, that's a pretty good chunk of cash, right? And that's not including the actual R&D, the people, anything else. So the question comes down is like, how can someone who's not at these very large organizations like um, Microsoft, uh, Facebook, Google, how can someone actually do any level of R&D around this? That's the point of this article. But where I took it is going a step back and, and think, how can any security researcher do a significant amount of research across a model that's taking that long to train? 
right? Um, you might be able to focus on like a single, single particular part of it and like sort of poke for weaknesses in there. And we've seen this with like, you know, um, either gender-based issues or race-based issues in the past and like how some of these models respond to some of those things. But that's just a tiny little fraction of this. So like, is either go, are we going to be finding security issues in these things for a year to come? Or is there some way we can actually do a more efficient or more intelligent uh, or more, how, how do you go about, you know, doing research on these? That That's sort of the interesting point to me at the end of the day. That is, and I, basically I'm going to do what I what I often do is re repeat back what you said just to reinforce the point. But yeah, you, you touched on the, the data issues. What what data is being used to train these models? How can you confirm that? And I'll add too, we, speaking of NCC Group, I think it was two episodes ago, we had that uh, article from them about common AI attacks, common ways to attack AI and ML systems. And it didn't even think to me that um, the PDF is free for download. It would take maybe a good long weekend to read through. But um, uh, last I checked, we need more sponsors before we have uh, 25 or so million dollars in the bank for ASW to go and do some of our own testing. Um, bringing in the budget's a really good point about um, how can it be tested and who who would be testing this. So that pause there is basically me saying thank you, John, for showing it, for, for bringing in a really interesting aspect there uh, because I don't have anything to add. So I'm going to switch to possibly the last uh, article we might have time for. And I wanted to save some more fun for last. Uh, this is an article that's from CISO magazine. So you might be a little bit um, eye rolling just by the source, but it's how to conduct a tabletop exercise. And me and enjoying D&D &D and other role-playing games love tabletop exercises. This one, of course, is focused on the security, sort of a call it threat modeling or a pre-mortem type of exercise where you get a group of people into a room and go through the steps that this, I think that this article lays out pretty well in terms of setting an objective, scheduling this, and then actually having an after action report or actually having some follow-up from the exercise. So th those are the aspects of it that I really wanted to highlight from this article is that these, these types of exercises can be fun, but it still is important to show some value from it and figure out what are we changing or what at least do we document about uh, what our processes look like when we ask a particular question. So, um, uh, John, I'm not sure if you have any particular um, uh, tabletop exercises in mind or Joe yourself as well, but I'm um, going to call out, use a D&D term to say roll for initiative and let's see who goes first with uh, some comments on this article. Forgot to set some dice to you guys. Sorry, I, I'm sitting quiet, seeing what Joe has to say. Um, <laughs> I, I think, again, you know, it's. I think these are interesting. I personally have done very few of them. I think they're interesting. Um, I think it's one of those things where, while they could be done in a smaller organization, like a small startup, I don't think people really start giving them um, decent uh, time or lip service, so to speak, until the org gets a little mm -hmm. bigger. Is that valid? I don't know if it is, but that's at least how it sits in my mind. I don't know, Joe, thoughts? Yeah, it, it's, you know, tabletop exercises are interesting. I've, I've been through one of them at a smaller organization, and if you don't have a clear objective, a clear goal, and 
well-defined assigned roles in those situations, it tends to kind of just fall flat on its face and it's no fun and you don't really get that much from it. Um, and, and, you know, I, I really like how this article, you know, actually goes into writing the after action report and diving into an implementation plan of what you would actually change and fix and how exactly you would do that. Because that's often an overlooked component of this process that mm. uh, really shouldn't be overlooked at all. That's where you're getting your value at, really, in my opinion. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point at the end. And I think, you know, uh, Joe, based on that exercise that you mentioned, you know, I'm not sure if you want to share what the, the, the topic was or if there's a, a particular topic that you, you like to, 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 to use as an example of what, uh, what, what a nice, you know, motivating question might look like from a tabletop exercise to, to, to kick one off. Hmm. I, I, I guess for this, it would it would have to, you know, be a well-defined attack path, right? So what are we, what are we looking at? Are we looking at um, privilege escalation? One one that I did was a privilege escalation attack where um, we believe that higher privileged accounts are being used within our environment to navigate our cloud environment, um, and what we would do to react to that and how we would mitigate the issue. That was a scenario that, that I ran through personally. Cool. And I think for me, one of the things I, I mentioned this in the show notes too, is that one of the reasons I, we possibly mentioned this a lot of times that we bring up a lot of the, the articles about particular vulnerabilities is that we like to highlight how these vulnerabilities could be generalized into call it a, a pre-mortem or could be used as seeds for this type of tabletop exercise. So you might not be running SIG store or SLF for J yourself, but there might be something in those security audits, uh, the, the write-up that triggers an idea for an exercise like Joe was just describing, or if you've got some OAuth uh, endpoints in your application, reading through that account hijacking and dirty dancing um, might might be some inspiration for some good tabletop exercises there. And uh, so, John, with that, any what, what would you uh, take us out with um, maybe some last uh, insights on some some tabletop exercises either you'd like to see or something about this topic? Ooh. Um... We had two, so well, a quick bit of um, looking for feedback from our listeners. Uh, we're, the last few episodes, we always have more stories in our show notes mm -hmm. than we're actually getting through. So take a look at those. Let us know if you want to see us, because I tend to get sort of lazy sometimes and not always put real descriptions there. I couldn't go talk about them on air. But do you want to see something there? Or um, what can we do around that? But then also sort of bringing that together with what uh, Mike here was just asking. Um, we had two articles in there around um, hardware security on the CPU level. So I guess mm -hmm. if I was looking from a tabletop uh, exercise, one of the things I think about, or I wanted my, my team to think about is, okay, imagine we're running this code in, um, know, let's say, Joe's cloud. Uh, oh, God, I can't. I got a Joe here now. I can't use that name anymore. Uh, Fred's cloud. Um, so uh, you've got this code in Fred's cloud. There could be other tenants on our servers. How much do we need to worry about? Do we need to start thinking about um, some of these uh, ways of, of Spectre and, and getting other information and running a speculative execution? So I think that'd probably be something I think would be worth thinking around a table. What do we need to do around that? Should we be doing anything? 
Um, but yeah, that that's one example I think comes to mind. Awesome. So thank you for that. And yes, please do let us know about those show notes. You, what, what would you like to see more of? Uh, perhaps what, even less of. And uh, we'll, we'll build up some some good uh, references or, and um, educational resources for everyone. Resources are the word I was looking for. The other words I'm looking for are thank you. Thank you to John. Thank you to Joe. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us once again this week. Please do subscribe. Hit that like button. Check out the show notes. And speaking of movie references, check out When You Grow Up, Your Heart Dies by gunship. We'll see you next week on Application Security Weekly.